1: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your
2: complex problems.
1: I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice.
2: And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. I also have an MBA in finance. I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates and FPU
1: coordinator. Great day to be here today,
2: guys. It's a great day. Uh-huh.
1: It is a great day as usual, and we are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday, like today, from nine to ten a.m.
2: You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a a link in the top right-hand corner. You can stream us. um, If you can't get us on the dial at twelve thirty a.m., that's an option as well. And then also the podcast, guys. If you miss um, one of the shows, then you can uh, you know link into the podcast, and we have it broken down into different segments and sections and so forth. So it's pretty easy to listen to the money. Yeah, they're all
1: listed by subject. I mean, you can go back and listen to any show last couple of years. They're all on there. So that's a great way to listen to us. And do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, guys, I think we have an awesome show lineup for today. Um, Good stuff as usual, you know. I mean, we're going to start off talking about the eight truths that investors can't accept. Mm, these they just—they are hard. They just can't accept them. I mean, they're these are things that really are, they're kind of, they're a little bit intuitive. We kind of know it in our heart. But we ignore them and we reject them. So you really got to tune into these. If you're going to be successful, you got to understand these eight truths and you have to embrace them because they are truths.
2: Yep, that's right. And we're going to follow that up with a, a good article um, out of CNBC. And it's about um, financially hurting your partner. And it's surprising the number of people that that can abuse their partner financially. We're going to go through some examples. I mean, you hear a lot about spousal abuse and things like that um, physically physically um, and this is more on the mental side, and they, it's done through u- the use of finances to control people. So we're going to kind of talk through that and share some of the stats. That's right. And then we're going to finish up with new jobs, student loans, and new
3: benefits. Uh, the job market's changing, and uh, thankfully the, the economy's kind of been heading in a, a good direction here lately, and, and the, the future looks bright, and um, some of these new em- employees or prospective employees, they're, they're looking for some new benefits that we'll talk about.
1: Yeah, that'll be interesting, no kidding. All right. Well, Good that
2: leads us up here to our financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Pew Research Center. And, um, you know, guys, you know, the talk about the economy a lot in the news. You see a lot of articles uh, we read, you know, pretty much every day on uh, the middle class. And the middle class, they feel left behind, and they're, they're very upset. Um, and, uh, and the reason is, is that the, um, the median household income in 83% of uh, the most densely populated metro areas in the United States and that represents about 75 percent of the nation's population so 75 is in the middle class their inclo- income has declined between 1999 and 2014 after you take into account inflation so they've had no pay raises for 15 years wow. it actually has decreased so they have not got ahead and there's a lot of upset people yeah i mean 75 percent of the population <laughs> essentially
1: you know has had no increase yep. and I mean, that affects people's attitudes, you know, and it, it speaks a lot to our economy, too. How it is not it is not growing organically in the middle. You know, it, it's not really growing at the core. I mean, we do have new new technology, new corporations that are doing pretty well, but it's 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 still we're not growing the base of America. Mm-hmm. And th- that's a problem.
4: You know, yeah,
2: we've talked about technology is replacing some jobs as well that may have something to do with it. But. You know also the outsourcing is has hurt um but um yeah it's challenging it really is, but fifteen years no pay raises that's that's not good that's a long time no that's not
1: that 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 makes for some angry electric
2: yeah no doubt it really does no doubt
1: okay good fact of the week and that leads us up here to our first topic and that is the eight truths that investors cannot accept um this is is based on an article out of Yahoo Finance by Josh Brown and you know, investors, as investors, we learn important truths, but sometimes we choose to ignore that knowledge when it's convenient, what it enables us to follow our emotions. And I'd say most of the time, you know, the average investor does that. As an investor, you know, we come into contact with this phenomenon. As an investment advisor, as an advisor, we come into contact with this phenomenon on a daily basis. We see, you know, investors repeatedly shun the prudent investment truths. And unfortunately, you know, no one is immune to being snared by your emotions, including myself. Um, But you have to be grounded in these fundamental truths that we're going to talk about here to recognize when your emotions are creeping into the picture. So here are eight essential truths to investing that we are all kind of aware of at a gut level, but we can't accept it at all times, you know, regardless of the deluge of of evidence and wisdom um, that's out there that, that points to these truths being, in fact, true. So, But the first one here on the list is anyone can outperform at any time, but nobody can outperform the markets all the time.
2: Yeah, I don't think many people understand that.
1: I don't think they do. I don't think they do. There is no manager, hedge fund, or mutual fund strategy that always works. I mean, if there were a consistently winning Way to invest, everyone would immediately adopt it, and its benefits actually would be arbitraged away, you know, so it wouldn 't work continually if there were a way, and everybody adopted it, but no one and and nothing stays on top forever, and more time that passes, the more likely you are to see excess returns from a given style of investing dwindle, so until it becomes so out of favor that no one is doing it anymore and that's what happens the fact is a diversified portfolio in many asset classes tends to be the most consistent strategy but but even then you have to be patient recognizing that it won't work it won't always look good compared to your favorite index. Yeah, okay,
2: so you have to be patient. That's and that's you hit that's a that's a good one there that you started out with because people are always trying to outperform the market and you just don't even see it with the professional you know managers in Wall Street. So that's a good one. Another one here on the list is um, persistence of performance is nearly non-existent. And you know, guys in, in business, we like to bet on winners and go with what's working now. And on the field of play, we like to get the ball to whichever teammates seem to have the hot hand. And you know, while you're usually rewarded for this behavior in real life, you're actually penalized for that in the stock market because there is absolutely zero correlation between a manager's past or recent performance and what may happen in the future. I mean, the outperformers of last year are equally likely to outperform next year as they are to underperform, and that's just looking at statistics. So there is no one manager that is going to always have it right. It's just that's not the way it works. Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: There is literally zero rhyme or reason. Even though emotionally we always want to bet with and be aligned with today's champion, you know, there you know, are there exceptions sure, but there are not many. I mean, you constantly hear about a few dozen managers after the fact who've beaten the odds and consistently outperformed, but you almost never hear about about the millions who have tried and failed. So don't chase last year's winners. That's really the moral of that story. So that was number two. Number three here on the list is taxes and commissions matter. Um, and you know, most people who have market discussions refer to before tax returns, and often they discuss growth, the investments, you know, gross of fees and commissions. The effects of those two constant costs cannot be overstated. You know, they reduce a strategy that looks fantastic on paper to a complete debacle sometimes, and they frequently negate the market edges and outperformance once they're factored in. So, you know, you can not eat pre-tax returns. Um, furthermore, the friction of a fund's internal cost and expenses or your own trading costs will have a big impact on your real-world results. Make sure that you're looking at the whole picture after all costs when you're analyzing an investments, including including taxes. Mm-hmm. So don't yeah. forget taxes. Yeah.
3: yeah, also you know, smart doesn't always equal good. Uh, everyone on wall street is smart you know like everyone in the nba or the the major leagues they're great ball players you know so what the the smartest guy in the room doesn't always produce the best results when we're talking about uh you know investments here so that's right no matter how much research uh is done or how good uh someone's i guess pitch on stage or something is in fact you know some some history's most spectacular, I guess, flame-outs um, have involved geniuses, people that were really, really smart, and just, you know, they hit a wall. Something happened. Um, and this is because, you know, like we mentioned a moment ago, nobody can get it right all the time. There, there are so many circumstances outside of our control, uh, you know, just randomness that plays into the, you know, the factoring of valuations that you just can't get it right all the time. So, you know, like we constantly talk about, the most important thing is to make sure that you're diversified well.
2: Yeah, and I think if you listen to the, a lot of the major pundits, the Dave Ramseys of the world, he talks about diversification, not trying to time the market, the Clark Howards, the Susie Ormans. I mean, if you listen to the the folks that are educating you out there, they're not talking about timing the market and trying to get into a hot sector, and they're not trying to sell anything. So, you know, and that's our, that's our approach is, is education and, and, and trying to be diversified and so forth because we see – things that fl- have flamed out in the past technology real estate right. oil i mean you go down the list and it goes on and on and on and, so. and they all have their moments yeah. where they're just on fire yeah
1: that's true
3: but that's with true. that flame you know comes a burn that's right absolutely
1: and i mean smart does equal good sometimes you know and that is when you're when you're adhering to prudent investment strategies that that have been proven over over decades, mm-hmm. and that, that's when smart equals good, but it doesn't happen often. Okay, that leads up to our break here, but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. <laughs> Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the eight truths that investors can't accept. Mm-hmm. You know, they just these are things that at the gut level we know they're true. But we want to believe in the tooth fairy. We want to believe in Santa Claus, you know, and we just we just want to believe that that you can circumvent these truths. So you're saying they're not true. Uh, Well, I don't know if your mom ever told you they're Gordon, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope my girls aren't listening to this. That's right. Don't tell them. That's right. I mean, yeah, I mean, the first one we talked about here was that anyone can outperform at any time, but no one can outperform all the time. You know, people want to believe that there's a hedge fund manager out there that can they can pay an absurd fee to, and he can beat the market. He's got the hot hand. But, you know, I mean, it's just not true. It's not. I mean, hedge fund managers, they, on average, they don't beat the market, and they're all in a black box. They don't have to report their returns. Um, they don't have to sh- disclose their holdings and you know they're just playing the odds like anybody else they they're like they'll run a couple funds and 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 have have opposing views and just just hoping that one of them will get lucky mm-hmm. and they'll make tons of money but on average they don't win so that's just one of the truths another one is persistence of performance is nearly non-existence you know that is a truth i mean oh, nothing wins all the time Um, It just doesn't happen. So you you have to take that into account. And then taxes and commissions, they do matter. Expenses are important. You have to look at expenses. You have to look at taxes, the tax implications. They make a big deal to the bottom line. Absolutely. Very, very important. People like to ignore that and like to just talk about pre-tax returns and even even gross returns, for that matter, before expenses. And then smart doesn't equal good. It does if you have the right strategy and it's based if it's on the right smart, if it's the right smart based on academics. But it doesn't equal good all the time. There are plenty of smart people on Wall Street. I would venture to say the majority of them on Wall Street are very, very smart, well-educated folks. But it doesn't. That doesn't mean it works. You know, they, they still have incentives that they're they're playing to. Um, And then the next one here is incentives do matter. You know, everyone has to earn a living. So figure out how an investment management person gets paid, what drives their compensation. And you can often, you know, work backwards to determine how their incentives may affect you. There's nothing wrong with an advisor or a fund charging for their services. But you need to understand that this can lead to certain biases and conflicts. That are ever present and in eradicable. Um, so the self-interest of investment professional, professionals can manifest itself in a lot of ways. You know, from their uh, proclivity to recommend. Uh, transactions to an allegiance to a particular fund family, or their their options on a future promise of a given philosophy sector asset class. So you have to you have to pay attention to you know what the incentives are. Charles Schwab wants you to think that active trading is the way that to go, um, and it's going to help you. Vanguard wants you to think that index funds are the only answer, and you should never place a trade as long as you live. You know, but I will add that Vanguard doesn't make extra money from that advice, so you know they're closer to the truth than the first one. Everybody has an axe to grind, though, including yourself. And people's opinions almost always color what's best for them personally. You know, that's why we recommend a fee-based advisor relationship if you're going to pay for help, and that way you know what you're, you know, what you're paying. And the incentives that will line up to your best interest. All
2: yeah, right. it's so. an independent type approach. So Exactly. Yeah, and another one here on the list, um, guys, number six, is the crowd is always most wrong at the worst possible time. And over the long haul, only one thing is certain. There is no worse performing asset class than the average investor. So think about that. The average investor is the worst-performing <laughs> asset class. In the yeah. aggregate, um, investors underperform value stocks, gross stocks, foreign stocks, almost all stock asset classes Nothing underperforms the investor class, and we know this from the studies of dollar-weighted returns, um, which is a glimpse into not just how an investment performs, but in how much actual money has been gained or lost by the people who have invested in it. We've talked about Dalbar before, but really interesting: the average investor does not do well.
1: That's exactly right. So you don't want to be in that asset you class, don't. right? Of the yeah. average investor, you want to be better than average, and. You know, we've talked a lot of times about how to do that, but um, on the whole, investors bet big on assets that have already gone up and, and a lot, and then they sell out after they've gone down. Investors allocate heavily towards star managers just as the performance is about to revert to the mean, and you know we even pay up for the privilege of that. And so, you know, this is this is the eternal chase, and it is old as the hills again sticking to a well diversified portfolio of asset classes will help you eliminate this problem so that's you know how we suggest that you that you avoid you know chasing that um you know chasing the crowd Mm -hmm. so to speak the next one here is fear is significantly more powerful than greed you do have to understand this behavioral science has proven that we feel anguish over losses much more acutely than we feel the joy over gain. I think God has kind of built that into our DNA, you know, as a survival mechanism, help us avoid danger, preserve mankind. I mean, therefore, we're genetically hardwired to act quickly when we feel threatened. And this extends ourselves to our most precious modern resource, our money. That's why markets drop as much as they do, you know, very quickly, and then, and then they rise um, slower. Um, and it's because, you know, people feel panic when they're threatened, regardless of the head knowledge and the history and the reason. You know, this is no more reason. Uh, this is one more reason why you need a disciplined strategy where your hands are not always on the wheel of your 401K investments. That's the bottom line there.
3: Yeah, and, and it, kind of going along with that same theme there, you know, there's, there is no pleasure without potential for pain. You know, and we talk about that with our clients and with people all the time. You know, adjusted for inflation and taxes, the average annual return for stocks uh, going back to the 1926 is approximately four times greater than than returns for ultra safe bonds. Uh, Why? Well, it's because uh, by investing in stocks, you're assuming some short term risk and accepting greater volatility today, you know, in hopes of greater return for tomorrow. You know, as a result. Like I said, we'll, well, you'll normally be rewarded in the future yeah, historically, you know, yeah. for for staying in. Um, I love one thing that uh, Dave Ramsey always says. He says, "Who are the people that get hurt on a roller coaster? Mm-hmm. It's the ones that try to get off." Yeah, you know, while it's moving. So, you know, you you have to take some some short term risk for the long term gains, and that's just that's just elementary whenever it, it comes to investing and staying in for the long
1: term. That's right. I mean, Walmart, uh, Wall Street makes. The majority of his money by convincing customers that this rule can be skirted, manipulated, or defeated. You know, and that's how hedge funds are created and continue to thrive. I mean, people will pay nearly any amount of money, you know, when they believe that the promises that are made to them, um, that they can avoid have all the ups without all the downs. So as a case in point, many hedge funds charge, and I've seen like 2%, along with 20% of the profits above a certain threshold. People flock to the false fantasy that they can accomplish the impossible. History and academic research shows that in the fullness of time, no one can skirt the risk and get all the gain. The last guy who appeared to accomplish this is now serving a 150-year life sentence, for fraud, and that is Bernie Madoff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in moments of, of exhilaration or panic, all of us have done things that run completely counter to some or all of these investment truths we talked about you, you and i both have i'm sure i mean everybody out there has you know the bad news is that we probably will again the good news is with awareness once you understand these truths you can become a lot better investor over time and have a lot more discipline and consistency in your results so very good that's it those are our eight truths investors can't accept and that leads us up here to our question of the week
2: yeah i had a um, meeting with a, a client recently and they're um they're quitting their job, they're going to a new profession completely, switching out they've been doing it for 25 years and they just had enough of it. Wow. Did a really nice job building up cash, um uh, about $100,000 in cash and so the question was, is should I invest that cash to try to grow uh, or should I just keep it, you know, conservative and and so you know, these are always dependent on the the situation of the individual. She doesn't have a job lined up. So she doesn't know where she's going at this point. So obviously the answer is going to be hold on to the cash. She can she can take off a year, two years potentially with her expense, um, you know the low expenses they have. So hold on to the cash in that situation until the you know the future clears up. Once that clears up, you may want to try to do something with that. Do some Roth accounts, you know you know some brokerage accounts, things like that. But for now, hold on to that money until you have a you know clearer future.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. You gotta be conservative till you till you know what the future holds in the short term. So good question of the week. All right, and that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. seven three nine zero seven two five. You're listening to Money M D. We'll be right back after these messages. And GNN, News, stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are going to um, lead off our next segment here with a new topic, and that is... Millennials have been hurt by a financial partner. 30%. Mm I mean, that's an interesting stat. That's a huge stat. And, uh, you know, I guess you're going to tell us how to avoid that, right, John?
2: I am. You can uh, get by protection you know there's different yeah different means. You know,
1: that's what was gonna be my answer you've <laughs> short circuited me here i mean yeah i mean if you feel threatened but i don't
2: know about financially yeah. okay? it
1: was the physical threat yeah. that i
2: think there is the. Answer well and for. they're tied when we'll get into that here in a minute which was interesting uh this came from cnbc uh a lady named Susie poppick uh wrote this article you know guys this is talking about 30 percent of millennials have been financially hurt by a partner my guess is it's not just millennials um you know we 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 talk about elder abuse and um there are a lot of people that are hurt um it doesn't matter what age um you know specifically this article is talking about you know 18 to 35 year olds have had that issue but i, I think it's probably I, inconsistent. Agree. I i think you're right yeah i think it's pretty consistent across the 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 uh, board but yeah nearly a third of uh, millennials 18 to 35 have had a romantic partner act dishonestly or abusively with money. And that's according to a new survey uh, by the financial wellness community Sensei. And about thirty percent of millennials surveyed said they had been the victim of financial abuse and that's defined as using money to assert power or control in a relationship. Uh, maybe by cutting off access to a shared bank account, for example, maybe financial infidelity, um, such as concealing activities regarding joint funds. Uh, We see that sometimes when we're talking to folks uh, out there. And, you know, the survey, which was uh, talked to more than 2,000 respondents, um, did not specify how many people described themselves as victims uh, of financial infidelity as opposed to abuse. But, um you know there 's quite a few people out there that are struggling with money and i I think we we you know we're not surprised by this it's it 's unfortunate, no. but we certainly see that as we talk to folks out there we
1: do we see that as advisors and Unfortunately, financial abuse or deceit tends to go unpunished, they've found. You know, nearly half of the victims uh, said their partner or former partner faced no consequences for their action, and 55% answered no to the question, do you know where to go for legal help? Mm-hmm. So folks just don't know what the answer is. They don't know how to, where to get help. I would say... You know, I mean, you need to talk to some advisors. You need to talk to yeah. a confident person. You know, and, and, and I mean, it may need to go to the next level to uh, legal, to yeah. legal, legal ramifications um, they are criminal. You know ramifications, yeah. but still your first step would be go talk to an advisor or yeah, somebody.
2: absolutely, and it's interesting slightly more men than women said they had been wronged by a partner uh, 53% of self-reported victims were male, and 65% of respondents said the perpetrator was, in their case, a man and that was according to the survey, so it's not necessarily, you know, gender based, you know, based. that's right it's happening, you know, across the board Yeah, and, and it's also, is challenging to measure exactly how prevalent
3: uh, financial abuse is in the U.S. Uh, there's a there's a growing recognition of its connection to emotional and physical domestic violence, and I can understand that. I mean, I can I can see how the two could be correlated. There, you know, the domestic abusers tend to use money as a key weapon to control their partners. Um, you know, and and that that can be very dangerous. Um, so, there's someone here in this article, Vicky Dinges with with Allstate. Allstate actually has an education program for victims of financial abuse, which is pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, that's good. You know, here's the, the next stat really, you know, jumped out to me. I know we all three do um, financial counseling for those that are struggling in our community. Um, but 98% of domestic abuse cases, there is some evidence of financial abuse as well. Wow. I mean, that is... That, that's shocking. I didn't realize it was that high. Wow. I knew there was a correlation, pretty high correlation, but 98%. And abusers may hide passwords to shared accounts, force their partners to take out loans in their name, and then steal the funds. Maybe they harass them at work until they lose their jobs or even cut off access to food and spending money. And what's particularly insidious about financial abuse is that victims with destroyed credit scores and limited resources really have no way to leave. I mean, you know, if you're loaded up with debt and you have a bad, you know, credit score, being able to rent an apartment or or apply for that job is not going to happen. So they're kind of like backed into a corner and, you know, victims of financial abuse may believe they lack the means to become independent. Um, But even those who feel trapped should know they have options. And, you know, I think the first step um, is to make sure you and your family will be safe if, you know, if you take the steps to separate. And we're going to talk about a couple of things to potentially do here. Yeah, they say
1: often the most dangerous time for a victim of abuse is when he or she decides to leave. And anyone who believes they are in physical danger, of course, should call 911 if the threat's immediate um, or the national domestic Violence Hotline. If they have more time, like I said, I mean, if it's physical abuse, I really think you got to protect yourself. You mm-hmm. know, and that may involve, you know, getting your getting a, having a gun. Well, I mean, just protecting yeah. yourself.
2: And there are women's shelters. I know in, in Aiken, there's some some shelters that um, for folks that are abusive, they can go to it and get get. Um, You know, protected, if you will, for a period of time. But, um, you know, they can also, uh, victims can also contact state social service organizations or groups like the National Women's Law Center to help them uh, with the legal help. So, you know, the fact that 98% of domestic abuse has financial abuse, someone that has the financial issues going on you know an advisor would be a step um also legal I think is going to be important as well yeah definitely. and you know
3: those rules they vary from state to state uh you know a lawyer is often able to get a victim in an order of protection uh but that again that's just a piece of paper uh as well and that could that could force the abuser to say stay away uh provide child support and even even sometimes cover rent you know other resources that, uh exist for victims looking for chances to change their name or their social security. So mm-hmm. there there are definitely legal things that you can do and steps that you can take there. Right,
2: right. So we always suggest speaking to an advocate like we said, an advisor, or a lawyer, a family friend, you know, one of these uh, national organizations who can help you through the options, potential consequences. Um, so you got to you got to be proactive and and um, don't s- sit there and and um, be abused. It's I know it's hard to come out, but uh, the the sooner you get through that, the sooner you're going to resolve it. Uh, men and women who aren't victims of abuse per se, but have a partner that has lied to them about money, um, should be vigilant. I mean, you need to get informed about any account with your name on it. One way to do that is go check your credit report you know, annualcreditreport.com. You get a free one every single year from the three reporting entities. That would be a step that you could see if there's something opened up with your name on it. And if you're on the hook for taxes or penalties because of an abusive or deceptive partner, the IRS has innocent spouse provisions that may help you And uh, other resources can guide you through those complex tax issues um, as well. And I've actually experienced this. I was doing counseling. It's been a number of years ago. And um, the husband who controlled the finances would not file the taxes and had not done so for like five years. And I'm like, this is just going to come back to to get you. you. You know, you need to do something. And so they eventually, they went through some counseling and they had to get a cpa to help them go back and file and penalties and you know it was just a mess but in that case there was some financial abuse you know going on so seek help
1: no kidding i mean keep your eyes open you know check on these things early don't let it go on for years
2: and years and as we talked about at the beginning um with your with your um parents if you have elderly parents you know there's a lot of um we've done segments in the past on abuse for elderly folks Um, It's rampant. So make sure you're understanding what they're signing up for, what accounts are in their name. Look at their credit report as well, because it's not just millennials this is happening to.
1: Yeah, it's across the board. So you really have to pay attention and don't
2: let that get out of hand
1: okay well that leads up to our prescription of the week
2: yeah this is um kind of comes from you know when i was uh, thinking about this you know you hear uh, calls into the dave ramsey show about um hey i'm about to to lose a job or i'm you know we're about we're expecting a our our second child or first child or whatever and and so when your financial future is uncertain you've got to build cash as a way to to have flexibility and options so you know, job loss, um, maybe you're, you're moving to another um, a new house, new location. If you can build cash up during that process, it gives you options. It gives you flexibility. I, I've never really talked about this, um, but I changed jobs one time because of some personal, family, um, medical issues. We, had, we lost a family member in, in a car wreck, and we had enough cash to, to be able to change jobs and change locations in the country. And if I wouldn't have had that... I wouldn't have had that option. I would have been stuck. And I think a lot of people feel stuck and if you have cash and you have the ability to make some decisions, you know, you can um, you can do something different. So build cash.
1: That's right. And that's true with your overall financial situation. I mean, if you pay down debt, it also gives you a lot more flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. You know, fifteen year mortgage, you got some equity built up in your house when you choose to move, you have a lot more options. So pay down debt, build up cash. I'd say those are that's a great prescription of the week. Yes. So very, very good. All right. And that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. seven three nine zero seven two five. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey look provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our show here with a new topic, and that is new jobs, student loans, and new benefits. There are some new benefits that are creeping onto the scene, and, uh, and some, I guess, higher tech jobs, right, Gordon?
3: Yeah, and, you know, uh, it's always a challenge for the new class, new graduating class coming out of college. They're looking for uh, the next best incentive uh, benefits package. And um, so there, there are a couple of things here that we're going to we're going to cover in this uh, particular article. It's written by Jillian Berman of uh, marketwatch.com, and uh, – I kind of like the way she started this off. She said, you know, much ink has been spilled, including by her, about the growth in companies offering to help employees repay their student loans. Unfortunately, 20-somethings actually hoping to take advantage of this perk may struggle to find a job that actually offers it. Uh, So, you know, this is this is something that's relatively new uh when i first thought about this i was like they already have an incentive plan in place it's called a paycheck yeah, right? That's right. <laughs> right you know um and a lot of it gets back to the personal money management uh, i think that that each person exudes however you know the, the college expenses like we were just talking about a few moments ago are just they're blowing up you know they're they're getting out of control sometimes but you know, uh, you guys, you know, this is something that should be addressed uh, before a student starts college, helping them determine what they actually need uh, for a loan, you know, how much, and understanding the consequences of such loans moving forward. Remember, uh, we're not advocates of bankruptcy at all, but student loans, they're not forgiven in the bankruptcy process. No, they're not. You know, that's something that they're going to drag around with them for a very, very long
1: time. Oh, we've seen some huge ones. I've, I've sat down with a well. I talked to a lady that, had one hundred thirty thousand, you know, in student loans, and she had like a nursing degree, and I mean, it's just going to take decades to pay that kind of loan off, you know, for the typical person. So, but what about when you sit down with someone like that—that that is a music teacher? That's
3: right. Yeah. You yeah. know, Tasing, I mean, Tasing seriously, Tasing and, I, and I've done that, <clears throat>
1: and it was like, wow, that's that's a ton. It's almost yeah. impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, I mean, roughly twenty-five percent, though, of college graduates said that they would prioritize. A student loan repayment benefit very high in their job search, Um, according to a recent survey of 2,500 of them that uh, had been released by Indeed, a a job search site here that did a survey. Um, But less than 1% of the companies include any kind of student loan repayment benefit in their job postings, according to Indeed which is home to more than 3 million U.S. listings. So they're a big, big site. So less than 1% of 3 million postings. That's right. Even show any kind of benefit for student loan repayment. So it's a very
3: few employers. Very,
1: very very small. But employers do tout other perks, um, like free lunch, unlimited vacation, that's crazy. How can somebody do unlimited vacation? I I don't get that. I
2: like the free lunch one. Are we gonna? Is that something we Google? can maybe well, discuss? We, we have it
1: once every two weeks. Yeah, Remember, that's, John, that <laughs> meeting you skip every two it's weeks. Not very
2: often, though. That's I mean. right. I mean,
1: that's pretty good. That's ten percent of the time you get free lunch, buddy. That's that's not a bad perk. Yeah. So anyway, but firms were more likely to advertise established benefits such as a four one k plan. Uh, a, a signing bonus, um, which were included in 7.6% and 5.3% of the listings, respectively. And those are more of the traditional benefits. Yeah, well, I mean, that puts money directly in people's pockets, you know. I mean, people are going to be more apt to, to go for those type benefits, I would think.
2: Yeah, and I, I like the uh, stat. 100% of these ads would have a paycheck attached to them. Yeah, right Man, that's the right.
1: incentive that's that's the big incentive that's so the, the bigger big the paycheck, and that's the reason why yeah. companies aren't going to do these kind of peripheral incentives because they don't get they don't care the
2: weight that the paycheck does right right and but those that do offer the 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 one percent of the companies that offer the student loan repayment I mean that's something that would clearly be you know much appreciated and valued by a large portion of graduating seniors I mean uh, you know roughly seventy percent of college graduates leaving school. Have student loan debt. And I think the average is about twenty nine or thirty thousand dollars. I would say it, it's just beyond thirty thousand. Yeah, now. it's a big number, and you you talking about a monthly payment of probably I don't know five six hundred dollars a month is a is a very large number. So, you know, a handful of companies are offering to help them pay it off in a bid to lure and retain top talent. So I think as a strategy for certain companies, it's I think it's valid. I just don't see it as a widespread. Yeah,
3: John, you know, that, trend. That, that's true and that, that's right, and you know. uh But with that incentive, this isn't just money that's being thrown out there uh, like a signing bonus. There, there, there is some structure actually to it, uh, to the way that these companies are doling out the funds. For example, uh, there's an investment company, and they're hiring uh, employees that have obviously, you know, uh, student loans. Student loans, yeah. Yeah. And and this is how they're doing it. They'll begin offering employees two thousand dollars a year annually spread out over five years toward their student loans and that's a total of ten thousand dollars uh the employees they must be there for six months before they're eligible but you know they're they're kind of spreading that out they want to they're considering it an investment uh and i I read this in another article that you know a lot of these companies are they're trying to consider it an investment and retain that talent that you were talking about for instance um there was a, a a young guy here. His name was Garrett Conley. He landed uh, a job with one of these investment companies, and he's 24 years old, and uh, he's graduating this year, uh, actually this June. And, you know, one of the things that uh, – it wasn't necessarily a game changer, but he did have some relatively small debt going into his job, uh, but he didn't find out about this Incentive or this benefit until well into the interview process, and he said that he appreciated uh, the message that his company was sending by agreeing to help workers pay off their loan. He said, you know, it's a it's nice um, that they recognize that this is a problem for many people, and uh, that they're
2: they're helping out with it. Yeah, two other big names that are offering this: Price Waterhouse Coopers, which is a uh, large CPA firm. And the online food ordering site, Chow called, Now. Chow Now, yes, yeah, probably a tech company, obviously, or among other employers. They just announced student loan repayment benefits over the past several months. So I guess both of them are wanting to attract. You know, some of the higher, you know, folks coming out of school, and that could be an incentive.
1: I wonder what they do for the folks that don't have student loans. I mean, you're going to boost their pay. I mean, you got to make know. it equal somehow. I mean, that's a couple thousand bucks. There may be some performance incentives or something like, just like be, that going just on. Just because right. you, were, you were prudent and saved all your money ahead of time and uh, paid off I your loans know. or whatever and you yeah. get penalized. Maybe a higher 401k match or something. Who knows? Well, yeah, let's hope there's some <laughs> kind of equalization here because, hey, I am all about you know being fair, fair and Quality. Social, Quality. socialist Socialist? <laughs> not i um, not. Though the perk is still relatively rare, though. I mean, it, it's possible that an improving economy will push more companies to start offering um, this type of perk. I mean, the numbers are still so small, though, it doesn't really feel like the tide has fully turned, they're saying here. I mean, it feels like it could. There are signs that the industry is primed for growth, although small number of startups are offering to help employees manage, you know, their student loan repayments. Um, and some lawmakers are looking into ways to allow employers to contribute to their 401k, uh, their st- employees' student loans on a pre-tax basis. And that would be a big help uh, so if they gave some tax incentive.
3: I was going to say, so there could be some tax incentive okay. for... Uh for either the student or the
1: the business here, what the business, want? the business tax, it, you know, for the employer to be able to do it on a pre tax basis, right? Okay, um, I guess it'd be, yeah, I guess it'd be both employee. I guess it'd be it'd be for the employee. That's what mm-hmm. it'd be the employee would get to get it on a pre tax basis. That'd be a nice benefit. Well, either way, it would be a nice benefit. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. Because I guess I now saying. they get ten ninety nine on it. I guess where they yeah. have to pay tax on it. Okay. Well,
3: and and there's reason to believe, you know, young job seekers may soon – they may have a little more leverage. Uh, The the current class entering the job market uh, for recent college graduates, um, you know, they say that 67% of employers – they plan on hiring you know fresh hires new talent with bachelor's degrees uh just you know coming out of school and that was according to a a, a poll taken by careerbuilder.com and that's a, another job search site you know that's the highest share since 2007 uh, so that's that's a lot of employers that are saying hey we're going to take some chances we're going to invest in some of this new talent that's coming into the job market and um Indeed, survey also found that a vast majority of current graduating class they're very confident about finding a new job, so you know there there is some optimism out there uh, on both sides, I think that are saying hey, we've got more jobs to offer, and uh, the graduates are saying, hey you know we we feel very confident about the opportunity of finding jobs,
2: yeah, so we're about to wrap up here but if you if you have parents listening out there that are trying to save for college, what are some tips so they don't come out with any college?" Loans.
1: Yeah, that's the key. You don't have these loans. Um you know, I mean I'm I'm a big proponent of, of going locally for a couple mm-hmm. years and then transferring to a major university and you know, you, you live at home and you can do that. I mean gee, it's it's so much cheaper. And that's a huge savings, but you know avoid the student loans I mean, save the money ahead of time. use the five twenty nine plans, plan for college ahead of time. Don't just react and and do it all at the end with with huge student loans and plus you need to look at the you need to look at the cost benefit of what you're getting the degree in and whether you're going to make enough money to pay off the student loan. you know don't get a some kind of liberal arts degree that doesn't pay enough to pay off you know a hundred thousand dollars in student loans yeah. Yeah. Good advice. So there you go. All right. That leads up to uh, the end of this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us for questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good
4: one. Ladies and gentlemen.
0: and SIPC
4: Jesus is-